Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, review, hang out with us for a while. Right here on the Jam Session Podcast, sponsored as always by Greening Law, the personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights that legal battle, so you, my friend, have time for healing and renewal. But right now, that moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, though? I would be the non-sexy one. It's Matt McLaren, and this is Jam Session, the podcast version 276, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. Oh, we've got a lot, man. Mike McCarthy spoke, taking a look back at the Cowboys' debacle in their first preseason game. We'll let you hear some of what he had to say. Got some interesting things to get into on our trip around the block. The Rangers will be looking for a new manager after firing Chris Woodward, and we've got to get into that. But before we get into anything, per the huge, none of this happens without our good friends at Greening Law, the green team, man. You were hurt in a car accident like me. Maybe you got hurt on the premises of a business. Well, you know, you need somebody to represent you, and they've represented clients from all sorts of different cases. What they do is they come in, they handle all the headache and stuff, they handle all the stresses, Really so that you can focus on, oh my God, my back is still hurting. What do I do? They say, well, just worry about that because we'll handle everything else. When I talk about how they're your fierce legal competitor against the insurance companies, that's really what they are. I mean, they handle all that for you. So all you got to do is go to your doctor appointments and work on getting better. Bro, that's why there should be no hesitation whatsoever if you're involved in a car accident with with an 18-wheeler or you're at a business and something happens and, and you're injured. There's just no good reason for you not to pick up the phone and call 972-934-8900 and ask for the green team. <laughs> and just tell them your situation, man. And I'm telling you, if they take you on as a client, it's your lucky day because they'll walk you through this complicated, tedious process. Um, and they'll tell you questions and answers you didn't even know you are supposed to ask. Matt will tell you. They'll set up doctor's appointments. They'll do everything for you so you can focus on getting healthy while they go kick the other team's butt. That's exactly right. That's what they do. And that consultation is free. So if you think you've got a case, give them a call. Find out. See if they want to bring you on as one of their clients. 972-934-8900. 972-934-8900. It's Robert Greening. Call them now. Offices, Dallas, Texas. Oh, Dallas, Texas, where the Cowboys have not arrived yet because they are out in Los Angeles getting ready for... <laughs> It's, it's interesting because they're going to do a couple of practices this week like they did last week with Denver. This week, they're doing them against the Chargers. And most of you will be listening to this on Wednesday. They're scheduled for Wednesday, Thursday practices with the Chargers. They play the Chargers on Saturday night in their second preseason game. And then after that, they will head back to Dallas. But 
I'll be curious to see what the reports are coming out of these joint practices. And if the Cowboys get their ass kicked, if it's like, oh, well, you know, they're still adjusting from being in the altitude. Like, what will the excuses be this week if things don't go well for them? Wow. I don't know. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I'm trying to be positive here. I know, that, I know y'all are shocked by that and surprised by that. But that's what I'm trying to do. Um, no, I, mean, I think we'll, we'll see. They, uh, clearly, they had manhandled by Denver in practice last week. So let's see what they do this week. Uh, San Diego's another team that uh, should be in the playoffs, or at least uh, a real playoff contender. They had a terrific quarterback in Justin Herbert. Um, you know, Joey Bosa on defense. They're, they're a terrific team, man. Derwin James is back. Uh, so it's a good test in practice. But I don't know, I already told y'all. I don't like what I see. I didn't like the offseason. Ain't been nothing in the first part of training camp or the first preseason game to make yeah. me feel any different than I felt all along. And so hopefully we'll see something this week that'll make me feel different. Yeah, I, I hope so. And, and Mike McCarthy, after the game on Saturday, I mean, he talked, hey, you know, we got to go in there and see what we see on film and, and then we'll reassess and go from there. Well, Yesterday, he spoke to the media. He did go back and watch the film, and he had some interesting things to say about a couple of different things, so I thought we'd go through and kind of offer our thoughts on what he's saying. So here is Mike McCarthy, first off, talking about where they're at right now, and and you kind of get a little bit of coach speak here, but what he's talking about and why he likes some of what he saw. We're in corrective mode. I mean, mean, you're in that mode after every practice, uh, but now you got... You got live reps, you know. We had you know 80 plays on offense. I mean, it's uh, you know that, that that's that's incredible. That's a lot of video, you know, 71 on defense. So, um, you know, just you just like anything, you go through. We call it the Cowboy Six, all the fundamentals and all the techniques, the pros and the cons, and you know what we can build on. Obviously, the penalties was a was a was a big topic today in the correction uh, period time together, and you know you go through those and uh, show show everybody exactly how they're broken down. Uh, you know the emphasis, you know, moving forward, and you know, in that just like anything, you're always tilt your practice structure um, and what you're getting done on a weekly basis to what you want to improve on. And frankly, I mean, that's what that's what we're doing right now. We start tomorrow. You know, our walkthrough and our work tomorrow morning will be, you know, getting ready to to for Charger Week. I mean, we got we got a lot of work coming up with the Chargers. You know, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, two big practices, and then a then a game Saturday. As he talked about, I mean, obviously they've got that this week with Charger Week, but you know, I think you hear that, and you hear like Nick Saban talks about that all the time. Like they almost like when guys are making mistakes because they have some teachable moments and they have some things. It is the preseason, and there was plenty, I think, that he's talking about there that they saw from film for them to allow to go through and be like, "Look, we've been trying to teach you this. This is what we're talking about." Right, right, right. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, you just want to see improvement along the way. Uh, clearly there's a lot for them to work on, um, especially on offense. And, you know, what you have to figure out is, is this, you know, is it technique and learning and, and execution or is it guys aren't good enough? You know what I'm saying? And yeah. that's, a, that's a real issue that you got to face at wide receiver because you got guys without proven track records. And, you know, that's the hard thing for them um, is trying to figure out if, if, that's, if that's something that can be fixed just with, with time and practice and better execution. Now, he also was asked about this, and this is an interesting answer here because, I mean, again, keep in mind, 
you only got two preseason games left and then you're focusing on the regular season and they are still in quite the rotation along the offensive line and McCarthy was asked about how he's looking at that and, and if things are going to change and be more of a solid group on the offensive line. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, there's always a point in camp when, when this when this comes up and um, but, you know, I think it's just 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 like anything. I mean, you know, t- you know Tyron has been getting the work in. Uh, you know, you're looking for, for continuity and, you know, you, you got you do have some flexibility that that'll will affect some personnel groups. So, you know, without getting into specifics, so that that's part of that. So, um, but yeah, we're you know we'll, we'll keep working. Uh, our rotation will be similar to last week. So I thought that was interesting, and, and he said Tyron. He meant Tyler. He meant Tyler Smith at left guard <laughs> right. when he was asked specifically about the left guard rotation. But I do think that's interesting because yeah, at some point. Don't you want your, okay, these are our five guys. This is our starting offensive line. Let's get them as many reps together as possible. Bro, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to be cool, man. I'm trying to be cool. You can't, dog. Have you taken a dude in the first round with a 20th pick overall? And you're like, mm-hmm. well, we hope he's good enough to start. Because mm-hmm. if he ain't good enough to start, then you should have never picked him. Because I don't give a damn about the potential you needed him to play now. That's why you got rid of Connor Williams and drafted a dude at left guard. You needed him to play now. And it wasn't Connor McGovern who's been a disappointment since he showed up because he's been here three years as a third-round pick and ain't Peter drop. And when he had a chance to get a job, he lost it. So if you're telling me that Tyler Smith can't beat out Connor McGovern or that it's a battle, it's a, uh, battle royal finish to the finish to the end, you messed up, man. Yeah, that's kind of when he said that, I thought that was really interesting. He's like, look, I get it, I suppose, but you only got two preseason games left. If Tyler Smith, you draft him in the first round, don't you sit here and say, look, Tyler Smith is going to go with the ones. There's not going to be some rotation. They're going to go through week two of the preseason using the same rotation they used last week, which means after that, with one preseason game left, they're going to decide, I guess, what their starting five offensive linemen are going to be. Or really, who their who their fifth guy is going to be? Because we know the other four, and that to me was concerning. He also talked about Tyler Smith, and here he is directly addressing Tyler Smith, his play, and what he's seen so far. Well, I thought Tyler did a lot of really good things. Um, you know, it's just 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 like anything in this game. I mean, you talk about being physical, talk about playing. You know, have a play style. Uh, he, he's definitely, you know, he brings that to the table. So, uh, but it's just like anything. It, it, his his mistakes were more. You know, technical. You know, the finish component of it. You know, I, I think you know, for young linemen, when your feet are beat, and how you how you react to that, you know, that that's that's part of it. You know, so um, I, I would say just the second and third reaction uh, components of you know technique is will, will be a, a focus for him moving forward. But you know, I, I think um, you know mentally was was sound. Uh, you know, I, I thought it was a you know a lot of good snaps to learn from in his in his first time out there live. I thought that was really interesting too, man, because that sounds pretty much like what they were talking about when they originally drafted him back in April. Yeah, like hand placement. He's really good in the run games. You know, he struggles in the pass game because in pass protection when he gets beat, uh, his hands go to the wrong place. And whether he's holding or not, it looks like he's holding, and that's enough for him to get flagged for it. Um, So now here we are, and it's the same issue he had in college. Was the same issue what he had all the offseason when you were practicing and training him at these various spots, and now the games are starting. It's an issue. 
Now, you can certainly say, well, it's the first game, so it may take, you know, a moment to adjust. But, dog, again, you, you don't come here for hate, for hope, faith, and optimism. Not for me, anyway. You come here for a realistic view of it. And a realistic view of it is, dude, I ain't seen nothing yet that makes me think he's what you, he's the guy who's going to be a difference maker as a rookie which is what you needed your first round pick to be this year, dog. First round picks are supposed to come in and start no questions asked. Period. Unless, you know, maybe there's a quarterback or, you know, there's some underlying where, but at worst, they're supposed to be playing significant playing time. Right. And this dude is basically battling a journeyman for a starting spot. And that would be okay if he was a third or fourth round pick. That's not okay as a first round pick. And if he's not starting, let me just tell you something, Doc. To me, this is just your boy now. I've seen a similar scenario. All right. Now, I'm not ready to go that far yet, but I've seen a similar scenario. Do you know what it was, Matt? That's not a rhetorical question. Do you know what it was? I do tell. It's when Bobby Carpenter was the first round pick. <laughs> no, I'm real talk, Doc. Okay. And all through camp, he was like, oh, he's learning this. He, oh, he's learning that. Oh, you know, he'll show up sometime. And in preseason, he didn't really do anything. And I believe he was inactive. I believe he was inactive for the first game. And then Parcells and that group was, oh, it's not a big deal. It takes people time to learn. Nah, bro. It don't. When you're first round pick, it don't. It don't take you no time. You're supposed to be good enough to play. Yeah. And that was a harbinger for his entire career. And he's a great guy. And he's a Buckeye. And I thought it was a great pick when they made him because I thought he could do a lot of things that could help him. But, dude, he was never anything. Um, and I'm not putting Tyler Smith there, but if you got a first-round pick at a position of need and he can't start, bro, I have questions about his career. Yeah, and, and I think that that's fair, obviously, because at this point, again, like you're talking about and what they're talking about is he's going back and forth with Connor McGovern, who was a third-round pick going into his third year, who has started 14 games in his first two seasons and has basically played half the snaps available to him in the last two seasons. And if there's a question of whether or not he can beat that guy out, it really makes you wonder if you missed your evaluation on what you thought Tyler Smith was going to be able to be. Yeah. I mean, now, you know, he's supposed to be good, and we've seen some things, but, bro, it's a passing league. It's not a running league. It's a passing league. And if, um, if, 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 if you can't pass protect, you got a problem. Yeah, and again, and I guess McGovern is going into his fourth year. I forgot he missed that first year completely due to injury. You know, so you got a guy that's, that's a fourth-year guy that is not a part of your future, and it's, it's like you drafted a project hoping that you could shape and mold him, and, and it goes back to what we've talked about of why I wonder if that's really what you were thinking about. Like, you drafted a project for your first-round draft pick. You got rid of your wide receiver, and you're totally cool with going through the season with all these young guys. I just really wonder the dedication, and that's why I have a hard time believing that they look at this season and they truly believe those things that they're talking about, of what, what a great position they're in and, and how much they like where they're at this year and stuff. I just I, I can't buy into it at all. Um, no, nah, man, because they, they duh, you know what we say, they're pissing on your head and telling you it's yeah, raining. Yeah. And if you, if you really look at it, again, 
you can see all of this coming, bro. I mean, ain't none of this really a surprise. And what happened is, and the Cowboys have been known to do this because it starts at the top. They get them rose-colored Ray-Bans, and they start viewing shit that we all know ain't going to work, and they start convincing themselves that, oh, yeah, this will work, and that will work, and this will work, and that will work, and why not? Yeah, sure, this will work. And from the outside looking in, you're like, what are they talking about? That ain't going to work. Or maybe this will work, but all these bad ideas ain't going to work. Yeah. And it feels to me, just feels to me, like, dog, they've been doing this the whole freaking offseason, convincing themselves that bullshit is going to work. That's what it feels like. And so now we're here. We just got one preseason game where the starters didn't play. So they get a reprieve for that. They get a pass for that. Um, so I get that. But, dog, <laughs> Tampa Bay and Cincinnati and the crew is coming fast, bro. Yeah. And um, you got to get this stuff cleaned up and cleaned up quickly. And so I'm reserving complete and total judgment, obviously, until we see the starters for a series of two, uh, whether it's this week or whether it's next week, whenever we see them, just to see a little bit of what it looks like. Because what, what the backups look like, eh, yes, whatever. Yeah, it's it's really, really interesting at this point. And he continues. We, we got a couple other things to throw out here for you. One of those is he was asked, it was funny because I think it was Chill that asked him about the second-year corners. And McCarthy was like, who? He's like, the, the second-year guys. McCarthy's like, Do you, can you say their names? Do you know who they are? <laughs> I was like, what are you doing, man? But yeah, Why are you messing with me? I don't know. But it, it, this is interesting here because he listened to how long he talks about one of the guys and how briefly he barely even acknowledges the other one when talking about Nashawn Wright and Calvin Joseph here. Uh, no, I, th- I thought Nashawn, um, you know, I, I thought he had some real competitive situations. You know, I, I think clearly you look at someone that's made the second-year jump. You know, he, he's definitely in my mind – in that category, you look what he's done physically. Um, you know, he had obviously the, the two, you know, they were good throws, uh, two competitive throws, and I think he'll definitely, it's, it's a great, it's another great example of, of learning from the techniques, you know, with his length and so forth going up and not under there is, um, you know, as far as tracking the ball, because, you know, Nation has excellent ball skills. I mean, you can see that. I mean, that was something that, you know, I know I, I was very, very excited about, you know, what, you know watching the, the Oregon State tape that, former receiver you can see him go up and high point the ball so I, I think those are two two plays you'll look for him to learn from because uh, because he does play with instinct and so forth but you know you do have to give the other side some credit they're good throws and catches um, so it's physicality you know hand placement all those things I mean he plays on the edge so he plays the right way he's just got to He's got to clean that up. Um, Kelvin, I, th- I thought was solid. You know, he's you know, has tremendous uh, tremendous ability. Uh, but you know, I, I think it was more of a, you know a first game for him, both on defense and special teams. I mean, he he talks about Kelvin Joseph for like five seconds and just goes <laughs> off on this whole thing on Nation Wright. <laughs> Bro, that speaks volumes. But you know what, man? Kelvin Joseph has not earned the right for me to be talking about you if I'm if I'm McCarthy. I can't even trust you, man. I. You, you got to earn that trust back and it don't come overnight or it don't come in a few months of, uh, of an offseason after what you what you did and how you put yourself in jeopardy uh, being a person of interest in a murder. Um, and so not to mention the fact that he ain't really done nothing on the field. Name me the good plays Kevin Joseph have made. I can't. No, I mean, really, that's that's no shade. That's no, just I, I like can't. if you read the practice reports 
every day. And when I say read the reports, you can read them in the Dallas Morning News uh, from Calvin Watkins and David Moore and Michael Gelkin. You can read them from uh, Todd Archer on ESPN. You can read them from my boy, uh, our friend, uh, Clarence Hill Jr. in the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. You can read DallasCowboys.com. Read them all, whichever one you choose. Most fans, read, read three of the four. Um, and you go find all the comments about Kelvin Joseph and the great plays or the good plays or the, the exciting stuff he's done in training camp and put together a list and send it to me. See how many, see how many mentions there are. And you're like, well, you know, it's training camp. No, I mean, Noah Brown got some love. Yeah. See me for Hoku's got some love, you know, other people have gotten love. So because people out there watching practice, making observations and there's very few about Kelvin Joseph. So either he's doing nothing or he's just a guy. Neither one of those is a positive for a second-round pick. Yeah, and, and that's where, you know, you look at a guy who's a second-rounder this year or last year, you look at a guy who's a first-rounder this year, and again, goes back to what I was talking about before, how they're looking at this thing and trying to sell you something when we're all sitting here going, I mean, listen to the coach talk. You know, listen to, watch what we're seeing here. So we'll see how it turns out. Like you said, there's still some time in the preseason. But one thing, and there are some positives, so I will play some positives here for you because this is one thing that I think apparently everybody is huge on their right tackle, and, and one of the reasons why they let Collins go is because of this guy right here. No, I, I tell you, I mean, you, got, you just got to be so impressed with Terrence, just, you know, what he does, you know, you know coming off the offseason. I mean, two, two years in a row, uh, he, he's had a tremendous offseason. You can see the improvement, uh, you know, in the weight room and, you know, his play style and his toughness. Um, so, you know, I, I think uh, Terrence is, is someone that's, that has a chance to be an anchor over there at the right tackle for us for a long time. All right. That's uh, it's good news. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Is You know, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of how I, mean, I felt, but, you know, hey. I mean, he was, he was all right last year, uh, but clearly they felt good enough about him to let Lyle Collins go. Now, some of that is they mad at Lyle Collins for getting suspended for five games. Yeah. Uh, so they let him go. Okay. Uh, and, and Terrence still did some good things last year. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. But let's just see. And, and if they found something there, then hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, because the offensive line is shady right now. They got two guys you know can play, but they're aging. And they got three guys you hope can play. Uh, two of them you hope can just be average which would be your left guard and your center, and then you hope Steele could be above average. But, you know, maybe, maybe not. We'll see. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's Terrence Steele. I don't, I don't know that he's on that level, but apparently the Cowboys believe he is. And then finally, and this was one thing that you kind of mentioned this. McCarthy talked about it as well here, and, and that's the defense and how well they actually performed on Saturday and made some plays, and the tackling was really good. And, and McCarthy spoke about that and was impressed by it. Tackling is, is you know, one of the you know three primary fundamentals. I mean, you know, we obviously work it every day, and you know, your footwork and your approach are are so are so important to it. So when you watch the tracking drills, you know, we, that's why you know we start with team fundamental every day, uh, and you know, we're always highlighting. We call it the Cowboy Six, as as, as we've talked about it here. Um, time and time again so uh, I, I think it, it, it's, it's you know it's exciting when you see carryover from the practice field to the game field but I think it's just a credit to our players and how they work the drills and you know because at the end of the day that was really the first live tackling opportunity they had so you know because up until that point it was just more you know footwork approach you know long long stride short stride all those you know little coaching details that go into tackling and 
you know, as far as the, you know, the, the approach and then the strike and the wrap. And, you know, I, I thought the guys did a nice job, for, for, you know, especially for the first time. So there you go. I mean, again, a couple of positives coming out. The defense did tackle well. It was weird because he had he mentioned at some point that they only had the Cowboys with defensively two missed tackles for the entire game. No, that's pretty impressive there. Now, there's no joke about that. Now, I told you, bro, it feels to me, and, uh, you know, I had somebody send me an email the other day, and I had to put my, my, uh, my private part on the table. Whoa, and, look at you. Well, you know, sometimes you got to tell people, like, dog, I've been doing this a long time. I mean, I ain't some Johnny come lately. Um, you know, I've been doing this since 1995. Last I checked, what is that, Matt? Like 27 years? Yeah, it's a while. And and so I know what I see. You know, everybody don't know what they see, but I know what I see. And um, it's up for them to prove me wrong. You know, and so I think um, when you and so my point is that this to me feels like it's got to be a defensive team this year, like the defense has to continue to be a turnover machine, even though it's unlikely they'll get 34 again, um, that the defense has to be game-changing and set up the offense for, for easier touchdowns by getting them the ball in good position, whether that's through turnovers or three and outs, uh, you know, with good field position. Uh, but it seems to me like the defense has to carry this team because there's more proven players and more good players on defense than there are offense. So we'll monitor it. We'll see how the week goes. We'll see what we learn from the joint practices with the Chargers. Do they get some of those things corrected? Does Tyler Smith come out on Saturday night and be like, no, I'm a first-round draft pick. Not you, Connor McGovern. Will the Cowboys acknowledge this? We'll find out. A lot of questions still yet to be answered as we go through this next week of the preseason. But one question that can be answered for you guys, if you need a snack and you're looking for something healthy that's delicious, it's Bruce Biltong. There's the answer. It's, it's available only online at bruisebiltong.com. A lot of people like beef jerky. A lot of people really like beef jerky. But you may be unfamiliar with biltong because it's a traditional South African air-dried meat. I'm going to tell you straight up, it is better than any beef jerky you've ever had. <laughs> it just is. It, it's more savory. It's more tender. Zero sugar. No artificial ingredients. Bruise biltong, man. If you have not tried this yet and you like beef jerky at all, you need to jump online and try it because I, re I honestly do truly believe that you, once you try Biltong and you get bruised, you're just kind of hooked and you got to have it around. No, bro, I think that's a, a fair thing to say. I mean, it's, it's the wildest thing. Uh, I've been a big jerky fan for, uh, for years, and I, I got this Biltong. I'm like, whoa, this is a whole different breed over here, man, because it's tender, it's succulent. Don't even get stuck in my teeth. Like, I don't even have to use a toothpick when I finish. Yeah. And I'm a dude who carries toothpicks with him. Like, you know, those plastic ones that you put with the floss on them. I carry yes, those with me, man. I don't even need those after I finish Bill Todd. That's real talk right there. Uh, in addition to the fact that it's delicious. And y'all know I'm always trying to stay fit uh, and work out and eat right for the most part. And yeah. it's great for doing that, man, because a uh, two-ounce pouch, got 240 calories, uh, 30 grams of protein. That's fantastic. It's delicious. It's bruised Biltong. It's online. It's B-R-U-S-B-I-L-T-O-N-G. You got to check it out. I'm telling you. And the best part is you get 15% off. Use the promo code JAM15. You get 15% off your order every time at bruisebiltong.com. So enjoy it. Also, of course, Freeway Tire Shop. If you have not experienced JR and his crew yet, I, I always wonder why. 
And I've heard some people, well, he's a little too far away. And I go, okay, would you rather have peace of mind and drive in to downtown Dallas, drop your car off and know you're getting taken care of? Or would you rather go to where you normally go and you drive away going, man, did they screw me? Because you don't have to worry about that with JR, which is why you take all your cars over there because you know you can trust a guy and the work is high quality. Bro, it's, it's, it's just trust for me, man. You pick a doctor because you trust him. You pick a mechanic because you trust him. And I trust JR to diagnose what's wrong with my car first and foremost so we can get on to the more important stuff, which is using quality parts. Not everybody does it. JR does, man. I trust him to charge me a fair price. How about that? Just charge me a fair price, bro. Everybody got to make a little money, but just charge me a fair price. And then I trust him to stand behind his work. There's nothing worse than a mechanic or a business that don't stand behind their work if something goes wrong. And uh, JR checks all those boxes while I take my cars to him. He's five minutes uh, west of downtown. It doesn't take long to get there, and it's worth whatever drive you got to make because when you get your car, it's fixed, it's fixed right. Yeah, and that's, I think, when I take my car somewhere, that's what I want. I mean, we... Somebody you can trust, like that's an interesting analogy with the doctor, because I think when you find that doctor, you tend to no matter where, like I live in Alabama now, I still go to my family doctor in Texas because I grew up with him and I trust the guy. I mean, that's how much I trust him. I go to him now if I need, you know, if I have like something quick, I'll go to a 24 hour clinic or whatever here. But, you know, for the stuff that I need that I, I trust goes a long way. And I think mechanics are the same way, which is why freeway tire shop once you experience jr and that level of customer service and care you'll never go anywhere else it's freeway tire shop online you can schedule an appointment you can request a quote at freewaytireshop.com so let's get into this trip around the block because there's a couple of things first i'll throw this out and i know you haven't caught up so we won't get too into it but better call saul wrapped up on monday night it is officially over it is in the books and it was it was perfect I mean, what a beautifully, it's exactly, and I hate to say it, you know, it's interesting, there's so many shows that are enthralling that we all end up loving where, like, the main characters are not good people. <laughs> it's really sad, isn't it? Yeah, but that's like, like, even, like, shows, like, I mean, go through, like, The Wire or Sopranos or Dexter, you know, Breaking Bad with Walt White, who ended up being a drug lord, even Better Call Saul. I mean, this is a guy who had a good heart, but somewhere along the way was blinded by money and took advantage of people. And it led to a lot of bad things happening to a lot of people. And a lot of the times in these shows, the outcome at the end for the main person, it, it's, it's probably not a very good outcome, but I, I sit there and I go like when Tony, whatever happened or whatever you believe happened to the Sopranos. And I believe he was killed. I was like, I mean, you're a mob boss. <laughs> it's going to happen, bro. You know, like like Walt White. And, and I hate to say this for people who have not seen Breaking Bad. I'm going to ruin the ending for you. It ended years ago. Get with it. But Walt White, when he dies at the end, I, you know, I, part of me was like, man, that sucks. But I'm like, this guy's evil. Like he's he's <laughs> he's responsible for murders and he sells drugs. I, I mean, what do you expect? Like and I accepted right. that and it made a lot of sense to me the way they wrapped that up. You know, it, it's kind of like. You know, you get into The Wire, and my God, there's so many different characters in The Wire. You know, but Avon right. Barksdale, I mean, or Stringer Bell. Like, who didn't love those characters? And, you know, Avon, I'm like, well, you probably needed to go to prison. Stringer Bell, like, dude, you can't get out of the game, man. And you tried, and you forgot how deep you were into it, and you get killed. Because you can't get out once you're right. that deep. It's it, not, there's no coming out. But that's just like, it's so realistic, and it makes so much sense that I think sometimes... 
You know, and I'm not going to say what happens in Better Call Saul, but all I can say is at the end of the day, this is a guy who, you know, the way that they wrapped it up and they tie up some things and, and where they leave it, I, I just thought in my mind that that's how I probably wanted it to end. And it made a lot of sense to me. And I just thought it was really, really well done. Well, I'm looking forward to it because it's a it's a great show. Uh, Breaking Bad was a great show. This was a great spinoff. Uh, it's, it's just a fantastic show. Uh, Saul is crazy. Uh, he is, but it's, yes. it's, it's, it's just a great show, bro. It is. The acting's phenomenal. It's, you know, I'm not even one of them cats who gets into cinematography, but it's, the way they shoot it is phenomenal. It's just a, uh, it's a great show. Yeah, man, and, and it's, it's wonderful. It's really awesome. And I got to tell you, it was really cool because at the very end of it, they had a message from a variety of the people in the cast, like thanking the fans and how much the show had meant to them. And it's interesting because you think of some of those characters – we're on Breaking Bad. You know, some of them were new to Better Call Saul, but some of those, they've been playing that character in some form or fashion for, you know, 12, 13 years of their lives. That's a long time, bro. <laughs> it is a long time, man. It's a and, long time, bro. I mean, you go all the way back and, and you just think of, you know, Breaking Bad debuted all the way back at the beginning of 2008. And here we are with Better Call Saul ending in 2022. I mean, that's 13 and a half years that some of these people had dedicated their lives to playing these characters and bringing them to us and just really, really well done. And very, very, I thought fitting the final episodes, like an hour and a half and my, like it, it feels like it's 45 minutes. Like it is, is incredible. Right? Yeah. It's just so, I just don't know that they could have done it. It's one of the best finales for this series, for this character that it just fits perfectly. Wow. It's really, well, I mean. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it now, bro. Dude, I'm like, I mean, I was already looking forward to it, but now I'm just like, hey. The final few episodes of this, you just can't wrap it up better than that. It's just impossible. There's no way you could wrap it up better. And, and I was excited about better it. better than Ozark? Yeah, man, Ozark, I think so, personally. Okay. Just Ozark, you know, was kind of one of those Sopranos types endings where it was interesting and, and you know, you kind of wonder with Ozark. You, it allowed your mind to take it wherever you wanted. And, and right. Ozark's a great example of that, like uh, exactly what we're talking about. I mean, I liked the birds. I, the characters were so fun, but, I mean, they were responsible. Wendy Bird's an evil person. You're damn right she is. You know, they were responsible for a lot of murders. They let a lot of things happen. They hurt a lot of people that were innocent. You know, and, and it, like Ruth, I mean, indirectly, they were involved for, they are the reason why Ruth is dead. You know, and yeah, she was some hillbilly backwoods girl that probably would have had some hillbilly backwoods life, and she got to experience some things in a short amount of time. She never would have without the birds. They still got her killed. Yeah. And so to me, at the end of Ozark, I, I don't know. It, it's, it was one of those things where I almost wanted to see more happen to them. Like, it feels huh. like they shouldn't be allowed to get away with some of that stuff. It doesn't seem like they got, out, they got off a little easy. Yeah, I thought so. Okay. And that's what I'm kind of talking about. Like, a lot of these shows that we love... The characters are just not like you. They need to be killed or put in prison or have something happen to them at the end. And what they don't, you're kind of like, oh, wow, they got away with it. And <laughs> like when there's nothing else and that's the end of it, it, it kind of just doesn't sit right with you, I feel like. At least for me. I don't know. Wow. All right. No, that's cool. It's, it's, it's an interesting wrap up. And, and I, I don't want to say what happens with Better Call Saul because I know a lot of people probably haven't seen that. And then literally the ending was just like 48 hours ago. But 
I think if you get into it, you can really enjoy it. It's such a great, great show. And one of those that at some point I'll go back in a few years and, and watch through it again, like I have with all the great shows, and just right. kind of see how it holds up for me and what I think. But It'll probably be even better then. It might be. It very well might be. Because then you'll be able to kind of binge it all at once and really soak in uh, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, I've, I've told you how we've, we've gone back through and started Seinfeld because I'd never watched it before. And we're in season four now. And season three, and I, I was told this, like season three is where it really takes off and becomes a great show. And you can see, I mean, it's just, it's interesting. I mean, it's one of those shows you can put on. It's almost like The Office, if you ever got into that, where you can just watch an episode to fill some time that, you know, and you'll chuckle and it's, <laughs> it's, it's well done. And I get the appeal to it now. I understand why people loved Seinfeld. Cool. And maybe that was my goal. I wanted to understand it. Sometimes it's good for background noise. Yeah, it's like when Prince died and my former radio partner, Scott Harrison, was crushed. And I was like, I don't get it, man. I, I, <laughs> and I went back and I tried, I listened to Prince's greatest hits and I listened to a whole bunch of his music. And it just, I was like, this dude is a genius. I get his genius. It does not appeal to me. That's fair. And, I was, and he was like, I don't understand how. I was like, I don't know what to tell you, man. Like, I'm not trying to rip the guy. I don't think he sucks. I think, like, what I'm listening to, I've never heard stuff like this before. It's obvious the dude was on a level that is unknown and is brilliant, but I just don't get it. It's like a lot of right. art. Like, awesome. I'm sure this is incredible. I can look at it, and it just it's just art to me. I, I don't see, I don't get it. That's fair enough. Everything but, ain't for everybody, bro. Exactly. And that's kind of how I had felt about Seinfeld for a long time, but I exposed myself to it, and now I kind of understand what people are talking about. <laughs> so there's that. So the other thing, and you sent this over, man, and this is, I don't know, this kind of blew my mind. Because I don't know, like, would you live in one of these things? Did you, that article you sent about these floating <laughs> pods... <laughs> No, man, I'm not living in no damn floating pod. I think it's fascinating, though. I mean, it's, you know, I just want to go to, to CVS. I mean, I got to catch a boat to the mainland. Yeah, so apparently what we're talking about here is <laughs> this is the world's first eco-restorative futuristic floating homes are being built right now. They are currently under construction in Panama, and... The pods range from about 300000 to $1.5 million in price. They're being built in the Linton Bay Marina on the north coast of Panama. And what these are, are these are livable floating pods in, essentially in the ocean. They're elevated. They provide 833 square feet of living space, including a master bedroom, a living room, a kitchen, and a bathroom spread across three and a half room, levels, Room for two people, and they utilize air-filled steel tubes to float seven and a half feet over the waves. And obviously, they have like a panoramic windows and 360-degree uh, ocean views and all this. But, you know, the picture of where they're building them, it looks like they're fairly close to land. Because at first when I saw this, I was like, my God, are these just like in the middle of the ocean? There's no way I could do that. <laughs> I was going to say, bro, what if the eight-foot wave rolls through one day? That's what I was thinking. <laughs> and, like, I don't know, like, are you constantly floating? Like, do you feel like when there's a storm and the waves are coming in, are you just being thrashed about in your pod? Bro. <laughs> I don't know. You know what, man? Until you've been out on the water 
And I'm not even saying I've been out on the water like this. So let me rephrase. Like, you think the the ocean and all that stuff is cool until you see some of them real videos. I'm not talking about like on TV. Like somebody from like social media has been out caught up in some storms and stuff, and you go yeah. like, oh. Perhaps I underestimated the power of the ocean. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> like, that shit is real, bro. Like, I ain't interested in being that far out. Eh, you know, no. Yeah, no, I'm not into that either. And that's why, like, apparently these are, like, right off the land. But it's still a trip, man, because these are designed. Like, the guy says that it's a home that floats on the water but gives you an experience of living on land. But from what I can get, like, they're not anchored into the ocean floor or anything. <laughs> so so I, I don't know how it works, but engineers are geniuses. I don't get but it, yeah. man. I mean, so this dude who's designing these and building these says if Apple had built a home, I think you would end up with something like this. There's a lot of technology built into the homes where, like, they're, like residents will have a ring that you can wear and you can unlock doors and switch their music and do all this stuff with a wave of your hand. Okay, can we do that on land? I don't, I mean, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> if we got it. I mean, this is such a, this is nuts. He goes, he goes, there's just something magical about being able to get up in the morning, walk downstairs and jump on a paddleboard. Cause you're right in the ocean. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I could kind of do that if I had a house in Malibu. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just, I, I don't, I don't get it. I man. mean, I, I understand it. I mean, you know, maybe this is just some rich folk stuff, bro. And maybe, uh, maybe that's as far as it goes. I mean, this is, uh, this is real. Like, the first pods will be completed in September, and buyers will be able to go and view them for themselves. Like, like people are going to start being able to, to build these. And, I mean, look at this. Production is scheduled to have about 1,100 pods by 2024. Wow. I mean, that's, that's a neighborhood. That's a lot. You're going to put a floating school in the middle, too? That's, uh, I mean, it looks fantastic. It, you know what it looks like? Let me, let me be real. It looks like a place I'd love to vacation for yeah. a weekend. But I ain't trying to live there. No, I don't, I don't think I could live in one of these. But again, like, I'd have to experience it. My, my main, and the article does not address this. Nah, did it say how many square feet it was? It's 830 it, square feet. It's basically it's like it's a, 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 one a hotel best, room. Yeah, a spacious, maybe small one-bedroom apartment in a large city. Right, I mean that's a little, that's enough space. It's just, eh, I don't know, bro. Yeah, I couldn't. I, I, I've got to know. Do you feel the waves? I mean, when it storms, are you just is this thing like rising up and down and moving around? Because I don't see how it wouldn't be, unless it's right. anchored, and then you're hoping. You know, what, what's the safety like if a ten foot wave comes? Because yeah. I don't know how big the waves get in that part of the country, in the world. I, I, I've never been to Panama. I have no idea. And all we got to say is, bro, all it takes is one 10-foot wave. It doesn't yeah. matter. For 100 years, there's never been a wave more than seven and a half feet. You know, it's like my dad used to tell me all the time. Hey, uh, the odds are a million to one, which is fantastic. Unless you're the one. <laughs> yeah, man. And, and, and my thing is, you know, part of the reason I've never been on a cruise. I've never been on a cruise ship. Because I don't know if I like the idea of, oh, I'm in the middle of the ocean and I can't get off the ship if I want to. I have to be on this thing. And like one of these pods, like they're talking about, like there would be jet skis and, you know, there might be like a communal boat where if you need to go to the land, 
you've got to wait on that thing. Like, you can't just walk out to your garage. You can't even walk down the street. There is no street. You know, you, you, got, you got to put in a call and be like, hey, jet ski guy, come get me. I need to go in the lane and get groceries or whatever. And wow. I don't know if I would like that part of it. Wow. That seems like it might be a little much for me personally to be that. Plus, you're kind of claustrophobic, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't. I mean, 830 square feet seems like it might be okay. All right. Okay. But, yeah, I'm feeling you on that, bro. I don't know. I don't know. I do know that I ain't getting, I'm not, you know, I might vacation there, but I'm not, I'm not living there. Yeah, that's the thing is like, I, I would, maybe I would check it out because again, this is, you know, what is that? Maybe it's Tahiti, I think, or something like that, that has those villas where you can stay and you're basically on the water and like the floor has like a window on it. And you can see fish and whatnot <laughs> swimming by like, that would right. be cool. I would, I want to go and experience that at some point in my life. Or maybe it's Bora Bora that has the floating huts. I can't remember. It's somewhere where rich people go that I have not <laughs> and been. We ain't, I was going to say, we ain't rich. Yeah, because that is on a different level. But, I mean, they've always looked. Yeah, it's Bora Bora that has the floating bungalows that are, like, in the water. You know, but you, you could, like, jump out of that, and I think you can stand up. Like, they're not really deep or anything. And the water is, like, crystal clear. They were in, did you ever see that movie Couples Retreat with Vince Vaughn? They, that's where they filmed it, and they, they stayed in those huts. No. And, man, the first time I saw those, I was like, holy crap, this is badass. Like, who wouldn't want to stay here? True that. But, again, I mean, I imagine the cost of that is outrageous. Oh, yeah, it's a little bit more than we can uh, I can afford. Let me not speak for you because you're a big-time radio host right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not on that level, man. So maybe one day. Oh, how about this? I just saw this. American Airlines has placed an order for 20 experimental supersonic jets. Interesting. They can fly as fast as 1,300 miles an hour. That is interesting. So they're going to buy, they're, they're from Boom, the Overture aircraft. This is just announced. It's commercial aircraft designed to fly 65 to 80 passengers, ready for flights as early as 2026 with commercial airline passengers as soon as 2029. So in seven years, man, we haven't had faster than sound travel since the Concorde. And that was 20 years ago. Now, what does, what you know me, bro, what does that mean? Does that mean I can now get to uh, Dallas to New York in an hour and a half as opposed to three hours? Yeah, I mean, if they're allowed, if they allow you to go supersonic, because a lot of people, a lot of countries, I think, have rules against flying over land at supersonic speeds because of the supersonic booms. Because, I mean, okay, like, we'd all hear that. Like, imagine, like, you're just walking outside, you know, around Dallas, and like, all right, we're going supersonic. You'd hear booms nonstop. Would you? Yeah, because of the break in the sound barrier. Like, boom. Like, I don't know how it sounds, but it'd be really loud. I was going <laughs> to ask you, what does it sound like? I don't know. It just sounds like a boom. But these, I guess, you could use because once you get over the ocean, that's what the Concorde used to do. You know, once you got over water, you could go into supersonic and they'd zip across the ocean really fast. I guess that's like when you're driving a Porsche and you hit the turbo button. Yeah, pretty much. I don't know what that is, but yeah, you do. No, <laughs> no mine doesn't have a turbo button. Hit that but turbo if it button, did, buddy. If it did, I would. Uh, if it did, I would. But I don't have a turbo button. So that was a okay. fake flex, but I wasn't really trying to flex. I was just thinking about it like that. All right. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, so I guess that's what it is. But, I mean, it would change. Like, flying from New York to London, It would it, you could do it in twice the time. Or half the time, rather. I think... Uh, now, this happened for real. It seemed like that flight was, like, six hours or eight hours to London. It's a hike. So if, so if you could do it in three or four, that would be... That'd be really good. Yeah, and apparently Lockheed Martin and NASA are working on more aerodynamic designs to quiet the supersonic boom and direct it upward to make it more tolerable to people on the ground. Okay, that makes sense. You shoot it, you make the noise go up into space where there's nobody living except the aliens and who cares about them. So that it's not quite so loud down here. God, this thing is a trip, man. It says... This boom company says that their supersonic jet is more fuel efficient and it can fly without afterburners to reduce noise and fuel burn. It's also designed to fly cooler than the Concorde, which got hot during flight due to friction. Man, I wouldn't How in the world did people get on Concorde? I'm like, I'm not getting on that thing. Why not, bro? If there, it got hot because of friction, what are we reentering the atmosphere? I'm, a spa, I'm an astronaut now. Hey, man, here's the problem. You wouldn't know that until you were on there. Like, wow, it's kind of warm in here. Yeah, and they'd be like, oh, it's okay, sir. It's just the <laughs> friction from the outside air. Like, oh, are we about to rip apart? We don't know. Bro. It's, it's the late 90s. We don't really have this technology yet. We're just trying it. <laughs> God, dude. But that's really, I mean, the fact that American Airlines has purchased 20 of these, that is really interesting because you got to think that means that American Airlines looked into this and did their research on this and thought it yeah. was worth investing into. No doubt. They're like, yo, let's get some. Let's make it happen. God, that's within 10 years that we could be just zipping across the country. What the hell ever happened to bullet trains anyway? Are they ever going to do that high-speed train down to, like, San Antonio or whatever? That's a great question. I don't know why don't we're know. not doing that. I mean, they have those in China and stuff, and you can just get on a train, go 300 miles an hour on magnets, and you can get, like, we could get down to Austin in, in an hour. That would be, that would be sensational. I don't know why we don't take advantage of that. Yeah, I don't either, bro. I mean, yeah, especially in cities like, states like Texas or California or Florida, where there's four or five cities that are that really anchor the state. And you're like, yeah. I mean, who wouldn't want to get to Austin in an hour if you could? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I feel like we've got... A lot of this technology available to us, and for whatever reason, we don't use it like we could. Wow. That's just us. I mean, we got, I feel like sometimes over here, we got to jump through so many hoops, and then other countries are like, screw it, take the land, build the train. Uh, no, I think you're right. I think it's hoops, and, and people got to figure out how they can personally make money. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, that's but, true. That's the you truth. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a capitalistic way. I got to... I'm not letting anything go until I figure out how I can capitalize more than anybody else. And then, you know, then, you know, the three of us can get together and push all the legislation through because we got our stuff lined up. Yeah, that's how it is. It's all about making money here. And if you yeah. can't make money, we don't want to talk to you. Dog, that's the truth right there. That's how we like to do it. All right. So as we continue, my friends, speaking of things that can drive you nuts, your foundation now, I, ha I do understand that Dallas is going to get a cool down, which is very nice for you guys. I'm excited for all of you. I know there's some more rain in the forecast, but you got to watch that foundation, man, because with all the heat from this summer, I saw Delka's put this out on Twitter, 46 days with 100-degree temperatures so far in the DFW area. That's the sixth hottest summer, well, sixth most 100-degree days of all time in recorded Oof. history. That, that, I mean, that with the drought, 
plays havoc on your foundation, which is why HFX Foundation Solutions exists. Aaron and his crew, it's local, it's family-owned. They service all of the DFW area. If you notice any of those things, and I'm going to tell you this right now, after the summer that DFW's been through, pay attention for this. The cracks, the sticking doors, the sloped floors. If you notice that, hey, I don't have gutters and your soil is getting washed out whenever it rains, you need to give him a call. Have them come over. It's a free, no-obligation inspection. And check out your foundation because... I'm going to tell you, this is one of those summers where a lot of people are going to develop foundation problems. And that's because... Jacques was taking my, a sip. No, no. My, my microphone cord popped out. What? Uh, this, Hey, man. you know That's the worst fairly, when your cord pops out. It's been... Stop it. It's been a fairly uneventful show for me, which is good. But, you know, the bottom line is... Pick up the phone and give Aaron and his team a call over there at HFX Foundation Solutions. 817-770-0174. 817-770-0174. Let them help you. Let them give you peace of mind. You know, we like to lovingly call it a colonoscopy for your house. But, dude, it's about making sure that your house is cool and making sure that you find any issues early rather than late. And Aaron and his team can help you do that. That's very true. It is about catch, especially after this summer, man. Make sure you guys, if you see anything, don't mess with it. Because there's going to be a lot of problems after the summer you guys are experiencing. HFX Foundation Solutions. Jacques gave you the number. You can find them on the web, hfxfoundation.com. So these Texas Rangers, my friend, they are on pace for yet another 90-loss season. The Texas Rangers, who I think the organ I don't think the organization. I know the organization thought they would be better. I thought they would be slightly better than where they're at. They have fired manager Chris Woodward three and a half, a little over three and a half seasons in. He, for whatever reason, and, and this is always interesting when you hire a guy and you know that he's going to have to go through some of your worst years and you don't really give him any opportunity to, to kind of work through that. But they have fired Chris Woodward. You said, I was surprised that by the timing originally. I thought they were going to make a move at the end of the year. But listening right. to them yesterday with Chris Young, who is, people forget, Chris Young is the general manager now. It's not John Daniels. Right. But listening to Chris Young and John Daniels yesterday talking about this, they wanted to go ahead and do it with 48 games remaining so that they could get some momentum and change kind of the mindset of where this thing was headed. So that made sense to me because it, it became obvious that Chris Woodward was not the answer and that they were not going to have him in 2023. No, I was just a little surprised by the timing, but like you said, you know, I don't really believe in that per se getting momentum from one season to the next, not with this particular team, uh, because I don't think it's good enough to do that. Um, and, and the guys who would benefit from the momentum are still in the minors right now. So to me, it's, eh, it's whatever. Uh, but you can make a move. I'm not going to argue when you're, when you're struggling like they have been. Um, they're probably a little better than the record indicates because they're 6-24 or 6-25 in one-run games. And you shouldn't be that bad. You should be somewhere around the middle, and they're at the bottom of uh, one-run losses. Uh, but that being said, man, you know, Evan Grant wrote something interesting in all the stuff that he wrote today. Uh, the interesting thing to me is that uh, he said Simeon and Seeger haven't taken over the clubhouse um, the way like Michael Young or Will Clark or uh, yeah. you know somebody like that has done, had done El, Adrian Beltre, and this is all I'm gonna say about that dog. 
uh, because I don't know those guys. But you have to understand who you're signing and what they're doing. If they if they weren't big clubhouse guys at their previous stops, then they're not going to be big clubhouse guys in Texas. And you just have to know that. You have to know who you're getting. And you can't say, oh, they got the money. And so now that will make them those type of guys. Because that ain't how it works, bro. You either got that kind of fire and intensity. And as my boy uh, Deion Sanders would say, when you walk in the clubhouse, you change things by your mere presence. Or you don't. And if they didn't, then you shouldn't have expected it no matter how much money they're making. Because why, Matt? We talk about this all the time. It's not their personality. Yeah, and maybe they didn't realize that. Maybe they were hoping then for Then they more. should have. They don't get no pass for that, dog. You no, got to know. They don't, but it's been an interesting year. And I think they have fallen way off, and maybe, I mean, it's not as simple. And I always, I thought this was interesting. You know, John Daniels, who's been around here forever, and sometimes I wonder, are we getting to a point where it's time to move on from John Daniels? I mean, he built this thing, and everybody wants to talk about how it was Nolan Ryan. John Daniels had way more of a hand in it originally than people ever want to give him credit for, for whatever reason, of building where they were 12 years ago. But John Daniels has been around this organization for so long is I just kind of keep wondering how many passes do we continue? And now he's the president of baseball operations. He's been with the organization since he was 28 years old when he was hired as general manager. He's now 44. So he's been here for 16 years. And sometimes I just kind of wonder, like, you, you, you keep changing these managers. And, and, man, have they gone through some managers because you look at his time. And obviously, early on, they, people forget it was Buck Showalter was here. And then Wash was here for, what, almost eight seasons, like seven and a half seasons. Then they went through right. the four, three and a half of Bannister. Now it's three and a half of Woodward, and you're going to hire another new guy. Right. And it's almost like, well, this, now it's Chris Young's watch because John Daniels is above him now and all that whole thing. But sometimes I just wonder if the whole front structure of this needs to change. But they're not changing it. And, and so I don't know how much they want to blame. And they're obviously putting it all in Woodward that they weren't where they were. They were supposed to, at least in their mind. And I thought this was weird. They thought they were going to make a jump from 60 and 102 last year to being very close to 500 baseball this year and actually compete. I mean, they flat out said in their press conference yesterday, the expectation is to compete for the playoffs in 2023. And I look at this and go, you need starting pitching. Your bullpen is trash. You need a third baseman. You need a first baseman. You need a left fielder. I was like, you still have so many holes on this roster. I don't know that it's realistic. I don't know why they thought they would be so much better this year. I really don't. Okay, but let's, 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 let's look at it like this. Um, what if, um, real talk, what if instead of being six and 24 in one run games, they were the average, they were, you know, uh, 15 and 15 in one run games, then they'd be where they'd be right at 500. I'm just doing all the top of my head, right at 500 or a game or two below or a game or two above, but that would put them in what the hunt for the, for the, for the wild card spot where they could be having meaningful games in September, whether they got it or not. And so maybe that's what they're saying is that, you know, if, if, if we had played better in these close games and the manager's decisions play more role in these close games, maybe we'd be in that position to hunt where we're doing. Then that whole momentum thing would make a little more sense to me. 
going into next season. Um, so I mean, I don't know when when you're when you're losing like this, bro. At some point, somebody got to take the hit. You can't fire the players. Yeah, that's exactly right. You can't fire the players, so they fire the manager. And so now it becomes, where can you go from here? Because, I mean, we had Chris Woodward on our show when we were doing radio when he got hired. Super positive guy. We were told he was a guy that could translate what the front office wants to do and make sense of the numbers and the sabermetrics and and communicate that in a way that Jeff Bannister struggled to do that would help these guys to understand, hey, guy, this is why we need you to do this right now. This is what we're looking for. And it's tough because they did that going through the rebuild that they went through. Right. But they were expecting more this year. And, and you pointed out the record in one-run one, one games, which I think is like 7-25 and 25 now because they won on Monday night in a one-run game. But they're on pace for the worst record in Major League Baseball history in one-run games, like right. the, the worst winning percentage. And a lot of that they put on the manager because – in certain situations when the game is close, you didn't manage it correctly. So I don't know what they do because to me, do you want to keep going down the path of first-time managers who are going to no. make first-time manager mistakes? Or do you want, if you truly believe you're going to compete, then to me, I might go out and get whoever, if it's Mike Sosha, if it's Joe Madden, if it's Bruce Bochy, I mean, whoever it is, whoever you identify as the guy that has the experience, go out and get that guy. Because you no, can't, like, like Buck Showalter is with the Mets. You can't go out and get a Buck Showalter. You know, I don't, I don't know that you bring Ron Washington back, but go out and get a manager that moves the needle instead of, oh, hey, this dude, he could be the up-and-coming next guy. Nothing. But here, here's the trick, bro. Here's the trick. Why has John Daniels gotten those types of managers? You tell me why. Shit, so that he can say, hey, Matt, I think we ought to have Taylor hitting third today. Yes, sir, boss. Will do. Hey, Matt, I was thinking, why don't we switch Taylor and McLaren in the, in the batting order today? What do you think? Oh, sounds like a great idea to me, boss. We'll do that. That's why he gets these managers who haven't done anything. Remember, he's picking their staff. Hey, Matt, what do you think about Taylor as your third base coach this year? Ho, ho, ho. Sounds good to me, buddy. Let's go, J.D. Let's do it. And that ain't no knock on him. You know, like I had a friend of mine um, who used to only date women who were, let me see, basically women he could take care of. Why? Because it offered him a certain amount of control. You know what I'm saying? They were thankful for him. Yeah. Oh, you, you know, you, you're my sugar daddy. You take care of all this stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be your woman. Whatever you say goes because I'm, I'm good. I'm good with this relationship. It's not that they don't like the relationship. They're good with the relationship. So, yeah, I'm good. You want to do this with the lineup, man? I'm good because you gave me this opportunity that I might not have ever gotten because I'm a, you know, I wasn't a, I was a first-time manager. I need an opportunity. You know, so those are just some things. And so is he willing, even as Chris Young now is the GM and he's the president of Baseball Ops, is he willing to get a manager who will say, hey, J.D., don't fucking call me, dog, uh, after 3 o'clock because I'm putting my shit together for the game. I'll talk to you after the game. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I, that makes sense. And so now, like, wh what direction will they go? And so the interim manager, Tony Beasley, is a guy that is like the Ron Washington mold of he's a high-energy guy. Now, he doesn't drop him efforts like Ron Washington would drop, but... Nobody does. <laughs> I was going to say. But this is a guy in his mid-50s 
who is the third base coach who has been with the organization since 2015, high respected. He hasn't managed since 2013 when he managed in AAA. But again, you're talking about a first-year big league manager without major league playing experience coming from an organization that is going to be going through their sixth consecutive losing season. But again, much like Wash, like a, like a crazy amount of respect. A lot of guys that are on this team that have been with this organization. You know, Michael Young is a huge fan of this guy. Elvis Andrews, and even guys on the team now that love Tony Beasley. Or do you go out and you try and convince a dude like a Bruce Bochy to come back who has won three World Series with San Francisco but retired because of his knees or something like that and has taken, you know, he took San Diego to the World Series in 1998, but he's 67 years old. Joe Madden is 69 years old. You know, do do you want somebody that's got that type of experience or Mike Sosha who's up there in age that is a proven winner in Major League Baseball? They've got to figure out what they want to do. My thing with the first-time manager is it just feels like they, especially in the last couple of hires, it just hasn't worked. Yeah, now you don't need this. See, this is a team that they say is ready to compete in 2023 or even if it's 2024. You got a really nice farm system. You got guys coming up. You need a manager who's ready to take you to the next level. It's not a first-time guy, bro. Um, Go get you a proven guy uh, who – but here's the trick, man. You can't get the baseball version of Rick Carlisle, all right? You got a guy who's who who can work with young players – put them in, make demands of them, break them down without crushing them while he builds them back up and ready to compete at the, in the big leagues. Because, yeah, rookies, young guys going to struggle in the big leagues. Uh, that's a hard mix to find. Maybe Joe Madden's that guy. Um, you know, Evan wrote something about Joe Madden, and maybe he needed more space because I hate when guys do this. Because he wrote something, and I'm paraphrasing here, so if you go and, and try to snitch on me, I mean, I would tell it to him if I saw it to, him, to his face. But basically he wrote – John, Joe Madden at times looked defeated by his team. Well, what the fuck does that mean? You know what I mean, bro? Like, what does that mean? If if he looked defeated as the manager of the Angels at times, what does that mean? I mean, because I don't know. That's just some words. I I really, that begs, give me an example of that so I really know what you're talking about. Um, Because Joe Madden is the kind of guy who, on the outside, you go, oh, he's a guy who's innovative, who, who brings a lot of energy and blah, blah, blah. But maybe Matt, he's just good with the, he's just good with the media. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Uh, because that can paint you one way if you're good with the media because we all like great quotes and we cut you a break if, if you give us great quotes on a regular basis. And so uh, they've got to find the right guy. Um, I don't care whether it's Chris Young making it, the decision, or J.D. or some, you know, they're taking a the Cowboys approach where everything's a uh, group decision doesn't matter you just got to get the right guy hopefully they'll find the right guy because they've got a lot of youth in the system they've got a lot of promising young guys they invested in some big name free agents last year I I wouldn't be surprised if they try and do that this year obviously the pitching has to get right I mean no matter who you bring in I mean you can go get a a Chris Woodward copy you can you can go get Mike Sosha go get Joe Madden if you're going to give them this yeah. pitching staff with this bullpen, they're going to get the same result. Bro, that's some truth right there. So they've got to find somebody, but they also need to invest in, and they know that. I mean, it's obvious. anybody who watches this team play can sit here and go, the bullpen is trash. We've got to fix this. We thought, I mean, and, and hopefully Jack Leiter turns out, but he, did, he has not had a good year at double A. 
I mean, he has, know? he has struggled at double A and he's young, you know, and you've got some arms in the system, but are you honestly expecting those arms to show up as rookies or as second year guys and be enough to change the staff? I mean, you, you no. need to continue to invest in this thing. You know, hopefully Josh Young can come in and he recovers from his surgery that, that took most of his season this year with the torn labrum and he's your everyday third baseman. And then you've got you've got Young at one corner spot, and you've got Simeon and and Corey Seager up the middle, and then you can go out and maybe you can invest in a left fielder somewhere. You know, it looks like Tavares is the answer at center field. You got Bubba Thompson coming up. You put him in an outfield spot, but you got to have arms. You got to have right. arms, and they just don't. Again, this is the problem. They don't have the pitching. They just don't have it. And I don't care who the manager is. It's not all of a sudden like, oh, this guy. Now you're a good manager, and you made these guys be good pitchers. Right, right, right. I mean, your best pitcher is Martin Perez, and it's not even close. And we know he's just a guy, and let's keep it real. He ain't going to pitch this good next year. No, he's not, because he never has, and it's it's ridiculous right. to think that he will. Right. That's perfect. I was looking up Jack Leiter, bro. 69 and two-thirds innings, 63 hits, so that's okay. Uh, eight homers, that seems like a... a, a I don't know, seems a little high in 69 innings. But I think his thing is 41 walks in 69 yep, that's innings. That's been the thing. His control has been off, like way right. off, apparently, because I've read about him a few times. Because uh, he's got 79 strikeouts in 69 innings. That's just fine. But uh, 41 walks, six hit by six batters that he's hit, five wild pitches. So to me, maybe, maybe that's a little bit of adjusting to big league umpires and what they call strikes. Or, you know, professional umpires and what they call strikes and you can't get away with what you got up at Vanderbilt. And then maybe some of it is, um, you know, just trusting your stuff and being more of the strike zone, knowing that they can't hit it if you throw your throw your best stuff. Only time will tell, man. And, you know, again, there's a lot of really good prospects in this system. There really are outside of Jack yeah. Leiter. But I just I mean, they are so adamant that they are going to compete for a playoff spot next year. Bro, they're selling, they, they doing that Jerry Jones selling hope BS. They are, and, and maybe this means that they're going to invest more. I mean, they spent $500 million plus in free agency last year. Are they going to go out and, and do that again? Because you're not – I don't know that you have, again, something coming next year for pitching, either in the bullpen or as a starter, that really changes what you're going to be as a staff next year. Unless yeah, you go it. out and buy somebody. Yeah, and, you know, I don't know who's coming to Texas. <laughs> and that's the thing. I mean, and and, and who knows, may, maybe this is where getting the managerial hire correct will help if you get a big-name guy that has some appeal where maybe some of these free agents look at it and go, okay, they're going to throw me some money, and they're serious. They, they believe they can win something in the next few years. They're the only ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I still – I thought, man, I thought they were a little – it seemed a little extreme to me that they believed they could be that competitive that quick because you're going to be relying on a lot of young people. You know, and, yeah. and, and you look at some of the best free agent arms that are going to be on the market this offseason, and they're all right. well over 30. So I don't know what we do. Hope and pray. Hope and pray. We shall see. That's what we're left with. Hope and pray. 
So that, my friends, is the Jam Session podcast. We'll be back again for you with a new episode on Friday, and we'll start looking ahead to the Cowboys preseason game number two against the Chargers. Will Tyler Smith start in the preseason? (laughs) The riveting Cowboys questions of 2022 continue. Everybody have a great rest of your week, and we will talk to you again very soon. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.